So today we get to continue our Heaven in Ordinary series, which is our exploration through the Psalms and how the Psalms guide us in meeting God amidst every emotion. And today we're looking at Psalm 51, this psalm, powerful psalm that shows us how to meet God in the midst of our guilt and then how God can turn our guilt into gratitude. So the background of this psalm, Psalm 51, is that King David uh, did this horrible thing um, that we know about because it's recorded in 2 Samuel. He uh, committed adultery with, with a woman named Bathsheba, and then he murdered her husband and, uh, by putting him on the front lines of battle. Uh, this horrific abuse of power. And so the prophet Nathan comes to David and confronts him, and David is flooded with guilt, and he breaks And the result is Psalm 51. Now, although this psalm is rooted in that very specific situation, it guides us in knowing how to meet God in in really any situation of failure and guilt. Because by by virtue of being in the Psalter, this collection of prayers and songs that that are meant to guide our worship uh, corporately, Psalm 51 can guide us to, to not just deal with our individual feelings of guilt, but also to acknowledge and confess and experience freedom from our guilt as a body, our our corporate guilt as well. And I think in this this particular moment, as a church and as a nation, it's it's critical to realize that we we carry guilt with us on a personal level as relates to our own sinful actions. But there's also corporate guilt to confess and to grapple with as well. You know, I, I sometimes hear well-meaning white people say things like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm guilty of, of racism and white supremacy. And it may be true that these people are, are strong allies and they are champions of racial justice and reconciliation. However, there is still power and freedom in acknowledging the communal corporate guilt and shame of racism that permeates the history of our country, permeates the history of the church um, and our families. Uh, I think that's good to recognize this morning given everything that's going on and how Psalm 51 is gonna lead us. So just a little bit more on that before I dive in. Uh, Latasha Morrison, who founded Be The Bridge, uh, the cohorts that we're doing, she's also written a book by the same title. And she writes something really, really instructive for us that I wanna share with you. This is what she says. She says that the church will not be a leading example in racial healing until we feel the weight of communal guilt and shame and then allow it to push us into the truth. We won't be agents of reconciliation until, like Ezra and Daniel, we take on the guilt and shame of our community and let it propel us toward confession, which is what Psalm 51 is going to help us do. Before we can move toward racial healing, we need to examine our own family histories, our systemic advantages and disadvantages, and our personal participation or capitulation in acts of racism. Only as we allow ourselves to feel the weight of the guilt and shame can we move deeper into the process of reconciliation? 
And that is, of course, as Christ frees us and, and forgives us and empowers us by his spirit. <clears throat> so as we're going to see in Psalm 51, the more specific our confession of sin and guilt, personally and corporately, the more specifically then we can celebrate God's miracle of grace and forgiveness. But let's dive in to Psalm 51 then and see how that how it does that for us. Psalm 51, just, uh, we'll start with verses one and two here, starts this way. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In this opening plea, there, David's using three images for what he wants God to do with his sin and guilt. And those are then matched by three aspects of God's grace. So those three images uh, that, that David is using for how he wants God to deal with the sin are erasing, washing, and cleansing. Just a word on each of those real quick. So first, um, David wants God to erase his sin, like, like a bad mistake on a, on a pristine piece of paper. So if our lives are like a, a beautiful story that we are writing in collaboration uh, with God, then sin is like a, a big, ugly mistake right in the middle of the page that makes us lose the main idea. How many of you remember that amazing, wonderful product called Whiteout? Raise your hand if you remember this. Oh, man. Uh, as a not so recovering perfectionist. I, I hate making mistakes when I'm writing, uh, but I loved using whiteout for a couple reasons. One, just I loved how it smelled. I'm gonna admit, I like smelling the whiteout once in a while. Um, that's, it's a smell I'm always gonna associate with blotting out my transgressions is the smell of whiteout. Uh, so I loved it for that reason, but that, the real reason I loved it was this deep satisfaction of seeing my mistakes magically disappear. I just felt so good to use this stuff. And as I'm thinking about that image, I'm wondering for myself and I'm wondering for you, uh, what sin in my life, in your life, do you feel like covering over with a big old blob of white out? And uh, so that becomes a part of God's story of grace, the beautiful, that beautiful story that God is writing rather than uh, just being another part of your story of failure. Uh, what sin is that for you? What, um, how wonderful and satisfying would it feel for the guilt of whatever sin you're thinking about to be wiped away and, and for that to turn into to gratitude for the kind of forgiveness that God offers? So as you're thinking about that, let's, let's look at this next image. This next image is one of washing, Wash away all my iniquity, David says. And the word he's using there is the word specifically for washing dirty laundry. It's not the word used for washing your body. Um, so the image is, David's saying, uh, treat the, the, the stained clothes of my life uh, with your mercy, God, and make them come out of the wash crisp and clean and smelling nice so that I can feel good about uh, what, what I'm carrying around on my body. Um, 
So that, that's a powerful image that's then paired with this image of cleansing, which is a similar word, but it's drawn from the world of ritual purification. So when God gave his law to his people, he included all of these regulations about how, 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 do, how are his people supposed to maintain their purity, their, their holiness, their set-apartness. Um, and he did that for two basic reasons. One, God wanted his people to be distinct or different or holy, set apart from the other nations so that, that people would know who God is. Uh, but the main motivation is so that they would be able to continue enjoying the presence of God. The, the main motivation to go from being defiled to being pure was to get back into the presence of God, to enjoy the re, uh, this relationship with God again. And at its root, that's what sin is. Sin is... Uh, separation from God, not being able to enjoy the gracious presence of God, distance between us and God, who is absolutely pure and holy. And the only way to deal with that problem, the only way for our transgressions to be blotted out, for our, our iniquities to be washed away, for our sin to be cleansed, is if God takes the initiative. And we see it over and over and over again in the biblical story. And this is the basis of David's appeal, because David knows that he's lost without God taking the initiative to do this action. So he's saying, according to your mercy, God, because you don't owe me anything, according to your commitment, your covenant to love me and to be my God, according to your abundant compassion that never runs out, do what I could never, ever do for myself and get me back into relationship with you. Get rid of my sin and bring me close to you. And in verses three and six, David confesses that he, he's in a bad spot because he can't shake the guilt of this sin. Well, let me share those verses with you now. <clears throat> so verses three to six, David's saying, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me because against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. There's one thing to clarify here. Uh, when David says, against you and you only have I sinned, he's saying that to God. He's not saying that he, he didn't sin against Bathsheba or her husband or sin against himself and his family. He's not saying that his sin didn't rupture and stain all of those other relationships. But what he's acknowledging is that the most serious relationship that he has ruptured is the relationship between him and God. Uh, this is the most serious thing that that sin does. And that's true anytime we're confessing sin, anytime we feel the guilt of sin. So if we're confessing a, a specific sin like uh, racial profiling, for example, uh, maybe confessing that uh, you think that you have this thought that 
a black person walking in your neighborhood is for some reason more dangerous just because they're a black person. If you're confessing that kind of sin, that is, you are confessing a sin against your black neighbor. Absolutely. But even deeper than that, you're confessing a sin against God, against God who created the beautiful diversity of the human race and uh, all in his image and who revels in the differences of skin colors and backgrounds. And um, I think it's really crucial to remember that the, um, the theological root of sin, that the most primary relationship that it ruptures is that relationship between us and God. And as a result, it also ruptures the relationship with our neighbors. And as David acknowledges in verse five, then that kind of sin, if this is a problem between us and God, it goes way deeper than just some individual uh, particular actions, sinful actions, that it's, it's rooted in rebelliousness that's been with us since birth. That's what he's acknowledging in this section that we need God, not just to forgive us of individual sins, but to free us from our fundamental posture of selfishness, this tendency that we've had since birth to be curved in on ourselves rather than oriented in love toward God and neighbor. And that begins, like David does, by having the humility and the courage to say something like, God, I've been a sinner since birth, and only by your mercy can I become an anti-sinner. It's the only way. I, I have been a racist since birth. And the only way for me to become an anti-racist is by your mercy, the freedom that you offer, the spirit that you give me to, to lift me from a place of complete selfishness to a place where I am able by God's grace and mercy to love him and to love others. So only when God interjects with his mercy and his love and his compassion will our fundamental posture change. This is the good news of the gospel that God does this sort of work and reorients our entire lives from selfishness to love. And, and everything then that David longs for in verses 7 to 12, everything that we long for in terms of forgiveness and healing and freedom those things become possible. Uh, and some of this in, in verses 7 to 12, David's just reiterating what he said before. But here are his desires. He says, cleanse me. Wash me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let my crushed bones rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. There's some deep, powerful, moving desires. And friends, the only way to gain those things is to follow the pattern of Psalm 51, to honestly acknowledge your sin, because God, God knows it anyway. And there is, there is power in, in confessing that sin outwardly, specifically, to lay it all down before God, and then have the humility to say, God, I know 
Only you can forgive. Only you can cleanse. Only you can heal. And for us, we know that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God has already accomplished everything we need for that healing to take place. That, that is the good news that we celebrate every single Sunday, every single day as we realize just how lost we would be without Jesus and how free we are in Jesus from our guilt. So the same, uh, the same dynamic at play in Psalm 51 is even more true for us today, uh, that if we acknowledge our sin, if we confess these things that we feel guilty about, um, the Spirit does have the power to free us uh, from that guilt and to fill our hearts with gratitude. Now, I'm going to be leading us in just a minute through a time of prayer. So there's been a lot of talking this morning, and perhaps you, you don't even have the space yet to be thinking about some specific things you want to bring before God. So we'll have that in just a minute, and, and communion as well. But before that, I just want to look briefly at how Psalm 51 ends. This is really beautiful. And it seems like there's a shift here, but I'll show you how it connects in a second. David got done confessing. He's pleading for God to restore his joy and his relationship. And he says, starting in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, and bulls will be offered on your altar. One commentator who summarized the end of the psalm here is saying, said that David wanted the depth of God's grace and forgiveness to propel him into this life of wholehearted worship. I think that's a great summary of how the psalm ends. If you go through this process of acknowledging your sin, confessing your guilt, and, and believing the good news of Jesus, it will propel you into a life of wholehearted worship. And by worship, I don't just mean what we're doing this morning, listening to the word, singing communion, those things. I mean all of life devoted to God and his mission. Uh, 24-7, a life lived worthy of God that flows from a broken and restored spirit. Um, a life of being an ambassador, to, uh, an ambassador of the gospel of reconciliation in every area of life and in every relationship. So this morning, I don't know what's striking you, whether perhaps you're, you're, you're feeling the guilt of a, of a particular sin in your life that you want God to blot out, or feeling the guilt and the weight of this communal sin of racism that we're wrestling with in this moment, or both. True freedom and worship lies in confessing those things openly bringing that guilt fully and honestly before God and each other and receiving in an undeserved, constant, uh, pouring out sort of way the, the grace and forgiveness of God and, 
and, and the empowerment uh, of the Spirit to actually change. So I hope, my friends, that the Spirit does that work in you this morning. And um, in just a minute, we're going to taste and savor the sacrament of God's mercy and our communion with Father, Son, and Spirit. But I do want to take just a few minutes to pause, be silent, to meet God in this moment. Um, This may not be possible for you if you are keeping the chaos at bay at home, but (laughs) wherever you are, if possible, why don't you pause with me, close your eyes, spend a few moments just talking with God, perhaps confessing this particular sin that you want him to blot away, or join me in also confessing uh, the corporate guilt that we carry. Let's bring that all before God. We pray and we meet you in Jesus' name. Amen.